<clears throat> there are times that uh, it may appear that I forget things. And I do forget things. And I find the older I get, the more frequently I seem to forget things. But I found a couple years ago, as I was uh, serving as chaplain at the VA Medical Center, there were times when I'd be working on a particular product or subject. Sometimes it would be counseling with people, and I would get distracted, and it concerned me. And, uh, and so I said something to my uh, personal care physician, and he said, uh, well, do you think we need to look into that? And I said, I would, would like you to do that. And so they ran some psych tests on me. Well, that's a fearful word, you know, psych tests. I mean, you have some psych problems. And, and, uh, <clears throat> and I came through those tests pretty good. And they told me that I wasn't ADHD, but I definitely had an attention deficit. And then he asked me, he says, have you ever suffered a concussion? And I said, well, I was diagnosed once with a concussion. I think a few other times when I <clears throat> slipped off this rail and fell into the pig pen and banged my head and cut it open a little bit, I probably suffered some then. And then the time that, <clears throat> that a hatchet fell off an eight-foot stepladder and hit me on top of the head, and everything went, uh, you know, I probably did. And, uh, and so they gave me some, some skills. I went through a couple months of uh, biofeedback. I'd heard about that before. I uh, didn't quite know what it was. They're very careful about giving you biofeedback because it can allow you to do some things with your body and your mind that ordinarily you may not do. Uh, and, uh, and it sort of revealed to me the, the mystery of God's creation. Isn't he good? Even in the experience of <clears throat> appendicitis, I don't remember a whole lot about it. I was only five at the time. But I remember rolling around in the back seat of the car as my dad drove to uh, Sarah, Pennsylvania, to the Robert Packer Hospital. And we lived probably 40 minutes away uh, in excruciating uh, pain, and, uh, and they made it go away. Uh, and I ended up with a scar that probably back then was only about like this on a five-year-old, but on a 20-year-old it was... Better, and you could probably still see it a little bit to this day, but back then they had to have a big hole to take care of that. Now they go in through your belly button and, and don't leave a, hardly a, a, a mark. But God is good. And God allows us to deal with the things of life that we may experience that others don't. And there's times that life seems to be unfair. Have you ever been that? Today, that's a big thing. Well, that isn't fair. Life is not always fair. I've had, uh, <clears throat> I've had moms and dads come to me and say, Pastor, why did this happen? Especially in the loss of a child. Any of you have a reason, an answer to that? 
And I used to seek God and say, God, just give me an understanding. And, and there was one point when God said, Ron, what answer would suffice? And I, I wouldn't have known because at that time I had not you know, lost a, a, a child. But I don't know that there is. If you've been through that, you could probably tell me there's no reason that I could accept at that moment. But, but I can say, but this I do know, that God loves us, that he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us, that he will work all things together for good. He will never make this good, but he can bring good from this. We, we can trust him. You know, he knows his plans for us, and they are, are good, not evil, that we might flourish. That's God's desire for us. Life at times struggles and fights against that. But we know through our faith in him that he will see us through. I want us to look at a passage this morning that <clears throat> hopefully is very familiar to you. And in some respects, maybe it isn't because we use it so often at funerals, and yet it is a passage that is powerful for life. In Psalm 23, we sort of focus in on, uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you know, and we focus on death, but, <clears throat> but the psalm is about life. There's a book that I started to read, and I've got distracted, I don't know how many times, I've started to read it, Several times I got up to chapter four or five and and got off on to another book, but <clears throat> but it's a book by Max Lucado entitled Traveling Light, and it's on the twenty third Psalm, and and the subtitle is um, I wrote it down. But I don't find it. <clears throat> Releasing the burdens that we were never intended to bear. That's what Psalm's about. Psalm is written in the Old Testament, but it is filled with the New Testament. And we'll find it throughout this passage. Let me just read. I I don't know the source of this because I've used it so much. I don't know if God just gave it to me or if he... Well, he gave it to me, but I don't know if he gave it to me through someone else or he just gave it to me. But it, <clears throat> but it, it, it speaks to me about the psalm. Let me read the psalm in, in Ron's paraphrase. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. For you make me to lie down in green pastures. I shall not want for thirst, for you leadeth me beside the still waters. I shall not want for strength or guidance. For you restoreth my soul, you leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. I shall not want for comfort or protection. Yet, For yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I shall not want for victory and vindication, for you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I shall not want for joy. For you anointest my head with oil, my cup runneth over. I shall not want for the best of this life, for surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall not want for fellowship and shelter, for I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. 
Psalm 23 is, is, is powerful, and it's pertinent to life every day. And it focuses on the opening words which says, The Lord is my shepherd. Now, <clears throat> I grew up off and on on a dairy farm, and I know a good bit about cows, uh, a little bit about chickens, and I really didn't want to know what I know about chickens, uh, although I enjoy eating them. Uh, <clears throat> but sheep is just something that I was never around. I can remember when we lived on Pine Hill and we'd take the back road into a church over in Augensburg that we'd, uh, we'd go right by a sheep farm and I'd see the sheep, but I just didn't understand sheep. When God called me to pastor uh, Lebanon Valley Baptist Church, the property that the church uh, owns was, uh, was sold, pretty much given to us by uh, Luke and Edith Hostetter. And Edith was a shepherd. She had about 40, varied from 40 to 45 sheep. And I learned a lot about sheep just watching them. But one thing that I learned was that there was a close, intimate relationship between the sheep and Edith. I remember one day I was, I was watching the sheep, and I was standing out there by the fence and talking to them like they understood what I was saying, and I definitely didn't understand what they were, were thinking. But all of a sudden, they took off. And they ran around to the other side of the, uh, of the barn where I couldn't see them. And I stood there for a while, and then pretty soon I saw Edith walking out the driveway to the mailbox, which was a pretty good distance. And all of a sudden, I saw these sheep just following on the inside of the fence, following her uh, out there. Uh, she cared for them in a way, but it was more than just care. When we hear of, of a shepherd, we think of someone that watches over and cares for sheep. But it goes far beyond that. Matter of fact, the word that's translated shepherd is a word that's also <clears throat> used to express friendship and companionship. You know, the Lord is our companion. The Lord is our friend. He is also our shepherd, our Lord. King, we don't understand as Americans. You know, we've never, well, the only time we had a king, we rebelled against him and, uh, <clears throat> and set up our own house over here. But, uh, <clears throat> but he is that. He has responsibility over our life. If we miss that, we miss a lot of what God is saying to us through the 23rd Psalm. God desires very much a close, intimate relationship with us, and we'll see how that comes about. But one thing that we know for sure is God loves us. No matter what our experiences of life may be, God loves us. Irresponsible of the people who were supposed to protect and care for us growing up, God loves us. And can provide that kind of intimacy that we may have never experienced. And the more that we... <clears throat> 
come to recognize the closeness of God to us, we find that we can get closer to others. And that may be intimidating. And that's why we may see some people that don't come to church every week. Because coming together with a body of people can be intimidating. If their experience has bad, a very negative one coming up in life. But notice what, uh, what God says. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Is that true? Have you ever wanted something? Is there something wrong with want? I get a little frustrated with Pam now and then when she'll <clears throat> see me do something or get something, and she says, do you need that? And I've gotten out to where I say, no, I don't need that, <laughs> but, I, but I want that. You know, There's nothing wrong with want. If want controls our lives, then it can be a problem. <clears throat> in, uh, in Max <clears throat> Lucado's book, uh, Traveling Light, he, uh, he gives this picture about uh, want. He says... Come with me to the most populated prison in the world. The facility has more inmates than bunks, more prisoners than plates, more residents than resources. Come with me to the world's most oppressive prison. Just ask the inmates. They will tell you. They are overworked and underfed. Their walls are bare. Their bunks are hard. No prison is so populated, no prison is so oppressive, and what's more, no prison is so permanent. Most inmates never leave. They never escape. They never get released. They serve a life sentence in this crowded, under-provisioned facility. The name of the prison? You will see it over the entrance. Rainbowed over the gate are four cast-iron letters, that spell out its name, W-A-N-T, the prison of want. You've been her prisoners. They are in want. Excuse me, you've seen their prisoners. They are in want. They, They want something. They want something bigger, nicer, faster, thinner. They want. They don't want much, mind you. They want just one thing, one new job. One new car, one new house, one new spouse. They don't want much. They want just one. And when they have one, they will be happy. And they are, and they're right. They will be happy when they have one. They will leave the prison, but then it happens. The new car loses its smell. The new job gets old, the neighbors buy a larger television set, the new spouse has bad habits. The sizzle fizzles, and before you know it, another ex-con breaks parole and returns to jail. Are you in prison? You are if you feel when you have more, and worse when you have laughs. You are if joy is one more delivery away, one transfer away, one award away, 
or one makeover away. If your happiness comes from something you deposit, drive, drink, or digest, then face it, you are in prison, the prison of want. That's the bad news. The good news is you have a visitor, and your visitor has a message that can get you paroled. Make your way to the visitor's room, take your seat in the chair, look across the table at the psalmist David. He motions to you to lean forward. I have a secret to tell you, he whispers, the secret of satisfaction. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I enjoy things. Anybody here enjoy things? And and, and I'm grateful for the things that God has given us to enjoy. All of the creation is given to us to enjoy. If you were friends with me on Facebook this morning, Facebook does this, they bring up memories. You know, and I've never, I don't know if I've never, but I, I don't usually share those memories. But today... It was some pictures from uh, from our trip to Alaska, and and I mean, beautiful. I'm nice, you know, nice memories. And and I'm I'm so grateful that God has given us those kinds of things for us to enjoy. For God is good to us, but our happiness can't depend upon things. Because if it does, if I'm just happy because of what God showed us on our way to Canada, I, <clears throat> I can't make that trip too often. It was like 13,000 miles by the time we got back home and took us five or six weeks, you know, to make the trip. I, I, I do have the memories in here which are good. But that which brings happiness is more than things. Unless you want to call a child a thing, or a spouse a thing, or a parent a thing, or a grandparent a thing, or, you know, but, but happiness is found in relationships. Because God is David's shepherd, he shall not want. Now, David had a lot of things. I mean, God had blessed him with many things. But his happiness depended upon his relationship to God. Matter of fact, when he sinned, you know, he cried out to God and said, God, don't, don't take your spirit from me. Don't take this intimate relationship that I have that at that time not many people had it. God's spirit came upon individuals just every now and then. Praise God in Christ Jesus that when we come to faith in him, his spirit comes to dwell within us. And we have an intimacy with God that is beyond anything we can imagine. And we probably, matter of fact, I know we have not pursued it. As much as you pursue it, God constantly opens the mysteries of heaven to us. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. And I remember a priest that told me once, I I, I said something to him about a patient that was very upset, a veteran, uh, because he would ask his priest a question, and he would say, well, that's a mystery. And, and, and this vet thought it was a cop-out. You know, he just didn't want to give him the answer. And he said, mystery doesn't mean that we don't know. 
Mystery simply means we don't know everything. There's a lot that we know. I mean, you talk to doctors and specialists, people that work with appendicitis. I mean, they know an awful lot, but there's still stuff that we don't know. The mystery of life is something that we'll never fully know until we know him as he knows us. Until we know him who created it all in the same way that he knows us very intimately today. Because the Lord is our shepherd, we shall not want. We shall not want for rest. How much sleep do you get? Now, as a person who's retired, I can... I try to get at least eight hours of sleep. And, uh, <clears throat> and I'm one of those that, I'm not a, I don't go to bed early. Our neighbor across the street, she goes to bed around 8, 8.30 at night. This time of the year, it's not even dark yet, you know. Uh, me, if I'm, if you ever need to call me, and it's 11.30, don't worry. I'm usually up. If not, I just laid my head on my pillow because I try to by 11.30, but many times I don't make that. Rest is important. Rest is important for a lot of things in life. And we live in a time where we don't get a lot of rest, especially up here. You know what I'm talking about? I talked to my, uh, my next-door neighbor, Charlie Dotson, who three years ago experienced the loss of his wife of 60 years. And last week, experienced the loss of his daughter, who was only 60 years old. In the midst of all of that, with the waters we got and the storms that we got, a third of a huge tree on the neighbor's property fell into his backyard, and he was concerned about that. And when I talked to him, I think it was yesterday or Friday, he told me, he says, I didn't get much sleep last night because I was thinking about how to get rid of this tree in my backyard. Been there? Done that? And some things, sometimes the things that we get concerned about that we're not able to lay aside are things that are important, yes, but they're not that important that we lose rest over it. Jesus provides rest for us. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. Listen to, to Ezekiel. He says pretty much the same things. Speaking for God, he says, I will feed them with good pasture on the mountain heights of Israel, shall be their grazing land. There shall be, <clears throat> they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. What he's saying is, God will provide. He, he makes us to lie down in green pastures. <clears throat> I don't know if that's a pretty picture to you. I've laid down in some green pastures, uh, and it's good. I remember one night I did. We were at a 
church camp up along the Susquehanna River near Tunkhannock, Pennsylvania, and um, and there wasn't a whole lot of light around there, so you could see the stars like crazy. And, and I just lay down in this field, this meadow, and uh, there was a path that walked across it from uh, activity area back to uh, the uh, mess hall, where you eat dining hall, uh, and that other kind of stuff. Well, even uh, where the cabins were and so forth. And, and I just laid down, and I looked up just to take in the expanse of heaven. And it was something that was just overwhelming. A couple of teenagers came by, and they saw Pastor Ron laying still on the ground, and they got a little... <laughs> They got a, a, a little excited, and I said, oh, I'm okay. You know, I, I'm just laying here and enjoying the peace of the, you know, of the, of the heavens. God desires that we, uh, that we have rest. We live in a day of extreme weariness. If we just look at what's happening to us, you know, locally, I mean, even down to our family, and, and, and all the things today that can bring tragedy to our lives and to those that we love. The opioid crisis is scary. I mean, it is really scary. When I grew up and was a teenager, about the only drugs that we fooled with, now, Mickey, I didn't grow up where you did, was alcohol. And, and, and we lived close to the New York line where you could get it at age 16. And in my junior year, I turned, I guess not 16, 18. In my junior year, I turned 18. And I got my draft card. And uh, <clears throat> in New York State, if you, if you presented a draft card, they'd serve you uh, alcohol. And you never not know what a draft card is. How many here... Know what a draft card is? Yeah. It don't have a picture on it. <laughs> and, uh, and I had people approach me. They offered me money for my, uh, to use my uh, draft card for the, for the weekend. You could try alcohol without a great concern for your health. Um, being near New York State and you had to go up into North State to, to get alcohol... Coming back could be dangerous if you were intoxicated. But nowadays there's drugs that if you just try them, they can take your life. It can be scary for a parent. I, I am so grateful. I, I, I said to my son once, boy, how did you stay clear of uh, drugs and that kind of stuff? And... Uh, and he just looked at me and said, well, Dad, that, that just wasn't me. <laughs> and I'm glad that he knew that, okay? God gives us rest from the things that can overwhelm us in life. Notice what, uh, <clears throat> when he talks about giving us rest and peace, there's... Two perspectives of this peace. One meaning of peace is peace with God. We're talking about the removal of, of sin. Matter of fact, in, um, 
In Romans chapter 1, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a good peace. Amen? You that know that peace, I mean, that, that is, that's a big one, to be at peace with God. The other sense of that peace as being at peace in God. There is a, a rest that is ours from the struggles of life and the work of life. In Hebrews, it talks about entering into that rest and be fearful lest you not enter into that rest, as Israel did when God <clears throat> revealed to them, it even says the gospel, but they did not understand it and they did not, they, they rejected it. Be careful that we miss that opportunity also because there's tremendous peace when we're at peace with God. But then there's that peace that we have in God. In Philippians 4 it says, And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. You know that peace. There may be times that we Oh, I don't know if we, we get distracted from it, you know. We suffered some concussions in life, and, and, and we get <clears throat> our focus off of the peace that is ours in Christ and, and get focused on the things that could happen or could be. It's this peace that many believers know little about, but it's a peace worth looking into. Listen, 23rd Psalm tells a lot about that peace, and we're only going to look at a little bit of it uh, today, but it can change your life because contained in this is the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I like that word souls. We'll find it in uh, the Old Testament. In the New Testament, it's a translation of the word suke, from which we get our word Psychology, the study of life. The word literally means life in general. In, in uh, I forget if it's First or Second Thessalonians, where uh, Paul writing says, "And God shall keep your or guard your whole body, soul, and spirit." That word soul. We know what the body is. It's this stuff. <clears throat> But what's the soul? Soul is that life element within us. When a person dies, that life element leaves. Now, so often we get it tied in with the spirit, but there is a difference, and I think he makes that distinction in that particular passage. But when he says that, <clears throat> that, uh, that you will find rest for your soul, it's talking about more than just getting a few winks. It's talking about 
the relief of those things that press down on life and, and, and make life difficult at times to experience and bear. He leadeth us <clears throat> uh, into green pastures, but it says he also leadeth us beside the still waters. My understanding of water is that if you see water that is still, <laughs> it, uh, <clears throat> it isn't good. You know, mosquitoes can breed in it. Uh, stagnant water is still, but that's not what he's talking about. If you learn something about sheep, sheep do not drink, usually, from running water. Sheep are very fearful. I think that's one reason God used them as an illustration of what people are. And, uh, <clears throat> and, and if, if the shepherd could not find a place where the water is still, he would dam it up a little bit so there would be an area where it would get still. And they could drink from it. Jesus is a master about thirst. Matter of fact, he's said on occasion, come to me and drink of the water that I give and you'll never thirst again. That's quite a statement. Matter of fact, the person he said to is, Lord, give me this water that I never have to come to this well again to get some. But he was talking about something more than H2O. We need water. We can go without food for 40-some days. Maybe I could probably go 50 days or better without food. But I couldn't go very long without water, and even less without oxygen. Uh, God is good in the things that he provides. And one of the things that he provides is the, uh, <clears throat> the ability to take in that which gives life, not just physical life, but spiritual life. And that's important. Matter of fact, that's what life is about. That's why the psalmist, when he talks about Jesus as being the shepherd, says that, <clears throat> that the intimacy that sheep have with the shepherd is the intimacy that we need with our Lord. And I know that you have that intimacy. But you know one thing I found? Is that intimacy can grow. I met a young lady back in my uh, sophomore year of high school. And uh, we had just moved to Tawanda, Pennsylvania. I played uh, football. And, uh, and I had a friend, his name was Fred. And after a football game, Fred had a date, and uh, he said, Ron, you need a date. And I said, well, I haven't met anybody yet. He said, well, let me see what I can do. And he, he went over and he talked with this girl and said, do you know anybody that would go out with him? <laughs> you know? and, uh, <clears throat> and she said, well, maybe my sister would. And so I met Pam's oldest sister. And, uh, and had a good evening with her and, and took her home and met her family. And met some of her extended family, relatives from New York State. And, uh, and then about 
a month later, <laughs> I met him all over again. When I uh, took Pam home, that I knew very closely for four years. And then we got married, and I got to know her even better. And now, 50, almost 51 years later, I find that that intimacy is something that, that grows. We had a couple in our church, Miles and Estelle Bainey. We helped them celebrate their 76th wedding anniversary. And I'm thinking, 76? You know, I haven't even reached 76 yet. Uh, got a ways to go for that. And, uh, and they know one another very, very intimately. And yet, Miles would share, I am learning more about Estelle every day. Because that's what relationships are like. And it's going to be that way about God. We can, someone say, do you know God? And you say, oh, do I know God? You know, do you know everything about God? <laughs> no way. I, I think I do sometimes. And then he sort of surprises me. God will provide refreshment for us. He'll provide restoration. He, the psalmist says, he restores my soul. I remember that word soul, life. Have you ever had your life that needed to be restored? I can think of several times uh, that because of life and the experiences of life, it, it seemed to just sort of beat life out of you. And, and I went to God with it, and he, he restored. And he restored hope, and he restored purpose, and, and, and he restored that relationship, because it's easy at times. <clears throat> One day we can pause a moment and discover that we have not only estranged ourselves from the flock of God, but we have lost the conscience presence of the shepherd. Now, I pray never of None of you have ever been there, and I don't think I've ever been there. But my younger brother, Brad, that I love so much, that passed away five years ago, uh, I remember when he came to trust Christ as a Savior and the change that made in, in his life. And, and I saw him grow in that relationship because it, it was only a couple years after my experience with him. And... and um, <clears throat> And then he got into high school, and he graduated from high school. And friends got him to try drinking beer, and unbeknownst to him, his body just didn't handle it and didn't metabolize it like it should. And, um, and it robbed him of an awful lot. Um, I remember talking to him about his relationship with the Lord, and, and there was a part of him that knew that it was still there, but he had no assurance of it. And when Bradley passed, there was some in his family that didn't have assurance of his salvation, not because he wasn't born again, which I know that he was, but he had gotten so far from the flock from the church. Listen, people that tell you, I can be a Christian without the church is a lie. 
Folks, we, we can't be a part, we cannot be an active part of the family of God without the church. It's just important. We need that relationship with one another because it enhances our relationship with God and our relationship with God <clears throat> enhances our relationship with other people. If we don't see that as a priority of spending, how, how do we do that? We, we do that by spending time with God, and that's prayer. And, and not prayer, just meditation. Have you ever woke up in the morning as sort of between sleep and, and getting up, and, and, and it's like God just brings some things to you, and, and, and you, can, you can talk to God without talking, you know, and you know that he's hearing your heart, and you know that he's responding it, and, and sometimes you don't know the answers that he's giving you, but you know that he's giving you answers, and, and, and it just assures you and gives you confidence and strength. I had one of those conversations this morning, because you may not know, but I, I haven't stood behind this desk since last September. And I used to do it a lot, uh, and, I, and I'm thinking, Lord, I remember a time when you would fill my heart with your word and message, and I tried to stay in touch with that, and I pray that I have for this this week. Because we all need to hear what God has to say. And listen, you can hear it without me, okay? But hopefully God will open some doors for that relationship. Listen, the biggest one, and we'll do it quickly, and I hate to do it quickly, but um, he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Boy, what does that mean? It means a lot. What is this righteousness that he leads us in? The, the paths, that word translated paths also <clears throat> uh, means entrenchment. You know, it's, well, it's not really a rut. Ruts aren't so bad as long as the rut's going in the right direction. Okay? Um, it's a holy rut. A divine one. He, he leads us in righteousness. But the righteousness in which he leads us is his righteousness. Look with me in Romans chapter 8. If there's a chapter in the Bible... It's very dear to me. One of them is this is Psalms 23, but the other one is Romans chapter 8. <clears throat> if I can remember only one chapter in the Bible, I want it to be Romans chapter 8. It starts out by saying, there is therefore now no condemnation in the Lord Jesus Christ, and ends by saying, <clears throat> and I am persuaded that neither life, death, angels, principalities, powers, height, depth, can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then tucked in between them are things like, and we know that all things work together for good to those that love him, to those called according to his purpose. And, uh, and the one that says, and the, <clears throat> and the Holy Spirit knows our frailness and our weakness. And, and, and he 
speaks to God with utterings that we don't understand, that expresses our need to Him. Powerful book. This is the part that I depend on a lot. It says in verse 3, For God has done... Excuse me. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending his own son in in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Believe that? That says something. And let me put it in these words. And listen, you don't have to accept my words. Look in Scripture and see what it says. But what it says that in Christ Jesus, we are righteous. And I remember when God first began to show that to me as I came to faith into him later in life. And and I said, God, that can't be so. Because I don't always do righteous things. And his response was, Ron... Did you become righteous through righteous living? And I said, no. No, I I lived a very righteous life, but I was lost. Because I was trusting in what I did for you rather than what you did for me in Christ Jesus. And I know that my righteousness is only from him. And it's not a pride or arrogant thing to say that I'm righteous because our righteousness is not dependent upon us. It does not focus on us. Bill, it focuses on him because it's not about us, huh? It's about him. It's about what God has done for us, not what we have done for God. Now listen, God has created us that we, for good works, For righteous living. But righteous living doesn't come from our effort. Righteous living comes from a righteous heart that only comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. For by grace are you saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, not of the things that we do that any man should boast. And then it goes on to say that that we are created, uh, and I need to remember, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. He made us righteous in his sight. Some call that positional, which means, well, we're not really righteous yet, but but in Christ we're righteous. Folks, We're righteous. And when we mess up and do an unrighteous thing, God's Spirit there to say, Hey, Ron, why are you doing that? That's not you. That's not not who we are, Chad. That's not who we are. We we are righteous in Christ Jesus. He puts it another way in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, when he says, For he hath made him speaking of Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
Boy, hear that. He leads us in the paths of righteousness. He leads us in righteous living because he has made us righteous. That phrase, in him, is important. I want to conclude by... Remember back uh, a couple months ago, we were encouraged to read through uh, Philippians once a week? And I did that, and that was powerful. Let me encourage you to try doing that with Ephesians. Because Ephesians is a powerful one too. And if you look, if you read through Ephesians, look for that phrase, in Christ, in Him. In just the opening uh, verses, it says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens, in Christ. For He chose us in Him. We're blessed were chosen before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. He, he predestined us to be adopted through Jesus Christ for himself according to his favor and will. Uh, in verse 7 it says, In him we have redemption through the blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. In him, verse 11 uh, he also made his made us his inheritance. Uh, if we back up in verse nine, it says he made known to us the mystery of his will according to the good pleasure that he planned in him for us. In chapter two, he even says, "And he has seated us in the heavenlies with Christ." Now, I don't know what that means. I, I really don't. And I, God's continually begins to show me through his word what all that means. But what I'm saying, that in him we have much. I meant to look it up. And at least, I don't think I get, no, I didn't give you that passage because I can't remember where it's found right now. But there's the passage that talks about broad is the way, narrow is the way that leads unto righteousness, but brought us a way that leads unto destruction. Did you ever ask God, God, why did you put it that way? Why did you make narrow and difficult the way of heaven, of eternal life, and yet broad the way to destruction? Pastor friend of mine, his wife, said that she asked God that question, looking at that passage. And she said, this is what God shared with her. The reason that path is narrow, because it was only meant for one person to walk. The only person in this world, in this universe that could, and that was Jesus Christ, and we are in him. I pray that there are hundreds and thousands and even millions or billions more on that narrow path through faith in Jesus Christ than the one to destruction. But that passage seems to say the other way around. But I don't believe it's so. And that's why it's so important that we share the message of the 23rd Psalm and the message of Romans chapter 8 and and the message of 
of Scripture, the gospel, the good news that God forgives us our sin through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and removes the condemnation that is ours because of our sin. Last week, I think it was, Steve used that big word. He became the propitiation of our sin. (laughs) What is a propitiation? Uh, An appeasement. And I'm hesitant to say that word because that, you know, that's sort of like angry, vengeful God that wants justice. Well, the scriptures say that he is. But it is in a loving way. God, God loves us and God wants that which stood between us and Jesus and eternal life to be removed. And Jesus did that in taking the penalty for our sin. So as we trust what he did for us, rather than what we can do for him, we know eternal life. And and next week, we're going to spend a little bit more time here. Uh, And we could spend a whole lot of time in Psalm 23, but uh, we're going to take a look at, at the assurance that we have of that salvation. Oh, listen. The Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He maketh us to lie down in green pastures. He leads us beside the still waters. He restores our soul. He leads us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Oh, may that be your experience, and may God open that to us this week. For I ask it in his name. Let us pray.